Welcome to Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast about how the world was, is, and will be ordered. It's to Ukraine's presidential elections now, where a TV comedy star has opened a commanding lead in the first round. Volodymyr Zelensky's trademark. He and his troops, Quartal 95, are famous for mocking the political elite. Is leading in the polls, and the only experience he has in television is playing one on television. Washington may be all about the Mueller report right now, but across the Atlantic, Ukraine is buzzing about its presidential elections, where incumbent President Petro Poroshenko is battling for his political life after comedian and political novice Volodymyr Zelensky emerged as the favorite in a first round of voting last month. It's a story that might sound familiar to those of us in the U.S. who experienced the 2016 election. But this is new territory for Ukraine, which is mired in a conflict with Russia, economic stagnation, and internal corruption. With all of this in mind, I'm joined by one of GMF's resident Ukraine watchers, senior fellow Jonathan Katz. Among his many talents here at GMF, Jonathan was most recently the deputy assistant administrator in the Europe and Eurasia Bureau at the U.S. Agency for International Development. He also now leads the Transatlantic Task Force on Elections and Civil Society in Ukraine. Thanks so much for joining me, Jonathan. Great to be here. So tell us, what is at stake in this weekend's presidential elections in Ukraine? Yeah, this is a really important election for Ukraine. It's five years after the Maidan. President uh, Petro Poroshenko was elected in 2014, shortly after the Maidan. And he's been there for five years, um, has moved the ball forward on some reforms, Um, really helped in some sense stave off an economic collapse in Ukraine, also uh, has dealt, I think, um, in a a fairly uh, good way with the ongoing uh, military conflict in the East. Uh, And so this election is not only just about about Ukraine's future, but it's also about its relationship with its partners, including the United States, European Union, and also uh, how they're going to deal with Russia. And this continued Russian aggression that has left over 13,000 Ukrainians dead. And so this election um, is really critically important. And what makes it really interesting is that in some sense, there's, there's two candidates left. The first round, you're, you're right, I was in Ukraine. I was actually in uh, the home or the home base of uh, President Poroshenko in a small city, Vinitsa, uh, that's also the home of, of the prime minister, Groisman. And uh, this is a really interesting election. All these things are uh, on the line, Ukraine's future, its place in Euro-Atlantic institutions, uh, in you know, the EU and NATO, um, its relationship with Russia. And yet, uh, you know, out of the two candidates is one that's relatively unknown to the West, uh, Volodymyr uh, Zelensky, who is a 41-year-old comedian. Uh, he's actually quite famous in Ukraine. Uh, and interestingly enough, he, he plays the role of of a, a teacher who suddenly becomes uh, the president of Ukraine. So he's had some training uh, to be the next president, but it's been one as a character on a, a TV program. Great. So let's come back to Zelensky, but I just want to stay on Poroshenko. He is the incumbent, like you said. He was swept into power during the Maidan protests with a lot of support by the United States and a lot of hopefulness by the United States. So let's talk a little bit about 
what went wrong and why are people so unsatisfied with Poroshenko? And on the other hand, how does the United States government feel about him a few years after the revolution? Yeah, I mean, Poroshenko is a complex character in Ukraine in that he he's someone who's been in a number of previous Ukrainian administrations. He's had the ability to work with different factions. He's an oligarch. And I think that sort of underlies some of the deep challenges internally within Ukraine's political system right now and the ability to actually tackle key issues that Ukrainians want, which is corruption. Uh, so Poroshenko is the chocolate oligarch, uh, Russian chocolates. Russian, first When I was in uh, uh, Venice, I went to the, the Russian chocolate uh, store to pick up some chocolates. They're pretty good. And with Poroshenko, while he has passed a number of reforms, um, what you see really is the lack of implementation of reforms. Also, in a sense, Poroshenko is still playing the role of an oligarch protecting his own interests and the interests of those around him. And that's problematic. So while they've passed a number of laws, they really haven't fulfilled what the public wants in terms of holding those accountable. And I think one thing that stands out is that nobody has been held accountable for what happened during the Maidan. The other factor is economics. Look, Ukrainians have not seen real economic growth. They're still living in an economic situation where they don't see uh, a bright future. And that's why you have millions of Ukrainians that have left Ukraine over the last five years. Uh, and they've gone to, many have gone to Europe, some have gone to Russia, but they're clearly looking to find uh, an economic future in a country outside of Ukraine uh, where they can support their families and their futures. The third element is the ongoing war in the East. Uh, a sense of frustration about uh, the ongoing conflict, the inability to resolve this conflict. Uh, and it, lest we forget, just a couple of months ago, there was this incident in the Sea of Azov. When this took place, Poroshenko's reaction was to declare martial law in a number of Ukrainian um, oblasts that are on the border with Russia, on the border with, uh, with the Donbass. And the Donbass is where, in eastern Ukraine, where uh, right now uh, you still have little green men from Russia and Russian military uh, materials and troops working with separatists there uh, to control that area. So when we look at Poroshenko and you're, and you're a Ukrainian and you look at the things that really matter to you, which is the economy, your livelihood, beating back corruption, and the ongoing war in the East— they're saying he's not doing what, what they hoped he would do. All right. Let's talk about President Poroshenko's opponent. He's a total newcomer to the political scene whose only experience in government is that he actually played the president on TV. And now he's the favorite to win the top office in real life. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the jury's still out on Zelensky. I mean, look, he's popular in Ukraine. He's had a popular television show because he plays a – he's a high school teacher – who, you know, sort of goes on a tirade. He's against Ukrainian corruption and then winds up as, as the president. Okay, so what is Zelensky's real-life resume actually like? He has no political background, and he's never served in government. From what I understand, uh, during the Maidan, he was not a vocal figure pushing back against the previous prime minister and president, the Yanukovych regime. So there's a lot of question marks. One thing I do know is that 
Obviously, the Ukrainian people are going to decide who's elected in just a couple of days. If it's Zelensky, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him right away to deal with some incredibly difficult issues. And and it's really likely, you know, based on the fact that there's a separation of powers between the president in terms of competencies and the parliament, uh, that it's going to be really challenging for Zelensky to, uh, even if he wants to, and we're not even talking about whether or not he's somebody who's got the chops, the policy chops, or he knows who to bring in to help run a presidential administration. But there's a divided political scene in Ukraine. And if you look at what comes next and you look at the Ukrainian parliament, the Rada, you know that Poroshenko and his party uh, and coalition there still control what's happening. So you're, you're going to have a, a divided government, a fairly weak president coming in, and a parliamentary election that's upcoming in October. And so all the attention is going to shift after this presidential election to that parliamentary election. And if you look at Zelensky, he doesn't have a political party that's ready to run in a parliamentary election. So it's going to be really challenging for him as president under this particular political system in Ukraine to actually carry out the reforms that he's suggesting. And so I think he's going to have to find a way to work with these various political factions. And that means working with oligarchs and working with some not so great characters to try to achieve a political agenda. And I think it's going to be difficult. Let's go to Russia because they are another prominent player in this whole kind of complex chess game that we're we're playing with Ukraine. How is Putin viewing this race? And what's the end game here for him? What would be the ideal outcome? Yeah. Well, first, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that on Sunday, there will be some champagne bottles popping in Moscow. Um, and very happy, I'm sure, to get rid of uh, of Poroshenko, who they've viewed as someone that they have not been able to work with. Regardless of what you think about Poroshenko, the one thing you know he, he certainly did on the international scene was give Ukraine credibility. He was able to build partnerships with the U.S., the EU. It was during this period that, that Ukraine signed its association agreement with the EU, moved closer to NATO, and has taken some, some real steps internationally to strengthen its identity. And if you look internally uh, in Ukraine as well, uh, despite how people feel about Poroshenko, Ukrainian national identity is stronger than it's ever been. Uh, when you look at, at Putin's strategy in Ukraine, in some sense, he's done more to strengthen Ukraine internally uh, than anybody else by his actions. Today, Ukraine is 20 steps closer to EU membership and NATO membership than it's been before. And when you think about Putin's strategy in this region, it's always been to ensure that, that Ukraine did not take those steps closer uh, to EU membership and to NATO membership. And the Maidan, the backdrop of that was, was Yanukovych saying no to moving forward on a closer relationship with the EU. And today, I think Putin still harbors, and he plays a short, medium, and a longer-term game that he hopes that Ukraine will become so destabilized internally uh, that it will become less attractive to Western partners. Putin still harbors this idea that he can deny and keep Ukraine from joining these institutions. And I think he would like to see somebody, and I think this is where Zelensky comes in, the fact that you will have a, a new president in Ukraine who's untested, who doesn't have uh, a background in terms of military security, and maybe is the type of foe on the other side that can wittingly or unwittingly, you know, sort of turn Ukraine back 
And what it also does, and the Russians love this, and we know it when there is internal chaos in countries, whether it's the United States, whether it's in European countries, they like to press those buttons to create internal conflict. And for a country like Ukraine that needs to really speed up its reforms, it makes it much more difficult when you have a foreign power not only perpetrating a hot conflict in the East, but also meddling in Ukrainian politics and its ability to actually achieve democratic goals, economic goals, and security goals. And I think this is going to be a challenge for Zelensky. You know, on one hand, he says, I, I can, I'm the guy who can go to speak to Putin and I'm going to make him laugh. And somehow that's going to change the dynamics of, of what Putin wants. Putin is about his own interests and about the Kremlin's interests. And it doesn't necessarily coincide with Mr. Zelensky or what he wants. I'm interested in more of a broader sense if you think that it's possible for someone new like Zelensky or really any politician in Ukraine or maybe any of the neighboring its neighbors to effectively balance a foreign policy that straddles the line between Russia and the the West, the U.S. and the EU? I think the, the U.S. position, and I think it's shared by allies as well, NATO allies and EU uh, partners, is that, you know, you know, that countries like Ukraine and the Ukrainian people should be able to decide uh, their future. And it should not be determined by Moscow which direction Ukraine wants to, to go. And, I, I, you know, when you look at the polling numbers for Zelensky in the first round of his voters, 56 percent support Ukraine joining NATO. You know, you know that Zelensky got a lot of his support in parts of Ukraine that maybe are more sympathetic to Russia. But the fact that he's still amongst the, the population that voted for him, that over majority support Ukraine's membership in NATO. That signals to me that Ukrainians are thinking about their future. So I think for, for the U.S., it's, it's fairly simple. The U.S. will continue to work with the Ukrainian government. And as long as the Ukrainian people are interested and want to move closer to the European Union and to NATO, uh, you're going to see support from the West uh, still there. And it's not up for us to determine um, whether Mr. Zelensky chooses a certain path or not. But the things that we can do is remind uh, him and the Ukrainian public, when you look at the economic future of Ukraine, it, it is largely connected to Europe. And if you look at security and democratic future, it's connected to the West. And so there's a, there is a, a fault line between uh, you know, Putin's authoritarianism or uh, democracy and the West. And I think Ukrainians have clearly shown uh, both in polling numbers and even by uh, conducting a fair, you know, a, a really fair and free election, with some caveats, of course, um, that that they're taking those steps closer to the West. I have to ask about Zelensky's relationship with a Ukrainian oligarch named Igor Kolomoisky. His critics have said that Zelensky is not so independent of a political figure due to this relationship. Mr. Kolomoisky is is one of um, Ukraine's wealthiest oligarchs. Um, in a land of oligarchs, he he stands out. Became a uh, a real um, uh, a, a really significant issue uh, after the Maidan. Uh, as the bank uh, started to to crumble, um, Ukraine had to. It's called Privat Bank. Um, the Ukrainian government had to step in at a cost of around 5.6 billion uh, to nationalize the bank. 
in effect taking away from Kolomoisky, and banks have been used by oligarchs to launder money. Um, what we've heard from, um, from even from uh, Zelensky's own campaign people is that, yes, they do have a relationship. They've visited each other. Um, Kolomoisky's TV has actually shown episodes of, of, you know, of, of Zelensky's, uh, whether it's a servant of the people, uh, but it's it's pretty clear that they do have a relationship, and I and I do think it's worthwhile. Um, it's interesting in Ukrainian politics; it's really tough for a candidate to emerge um, if they don't have this is for president or or for parliament, uh, unless they have some sort of oligarch or financial backing. And I think when we look back and we get a closer look at at Zelensky and maybe where his resources came. Came, came from for this election, and we, we look uh, at the role of Kolomoisky, we might find you know, under the microscope that it's a lot closer than, than people feel comfortable with. And I think that's, that's challenging and problematic. And I would say this, that uh, oligarchic control of a, over a president or that type of, of connection uh, for somebody like Zelensky, if they want to do things in Ukraine, uh, will be increasingly problematic, and it will 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 certainly tarnish him over time. So, uh, his separating himself um, from those connections and the perceptions of those connections is really important. And of course, because Privat Bank was nationalized under Poroshenko, uh, there is a uh, a longstanding feud now uh, between Kolomoisky and Poroshenko. And so you could see how, in this instance, um, Kolomoisky may think that having somebody in power that's closer to him uh, may be helpful in ensuring that his assets and businesses are, uh, are protected. But, but it, it is also important to know that the oligarchs have somehow within Ukraine have managed to survive and build their own businesses and sort of keep their own self-interest despite the rivalries. Um, and so I don't think anybody should be weeping for any of them uh, because, it, you know, in the end, it's those oligarchs that have been, uh, you know, the ones that have really held back Ukraine's progress. Uh, and if Zelensky is just part, a pawn of that uh, or a puppet, as, uh, as Poroshenko has said, even though there's no evidence to confirm that's the case, um, it will be problematic for Zelensky right away. And I think people will we'll see through um, uh, you know, what, you know, what he's put in place already, which is a pretty thin veneer of policy and a lot of rhetoric. And you know, he's going to have to put some meat on the bones uh, when he gets into office, if that happens on Sunday. Uh, and uh, we'll see. This is exciting. So to wrap up our conversation, we know that the U.S. and the EU, for that matter, have a slew of different foreign policy challenges to deal with. So if we're looking at this realistically, is Ukraine still important to Washington's interests? Ukraine is is still really important to U.S. interests. Um, right now, we're involved in a what many people believe is a great power competition that includes Russia and China. Uh, Ukraine, which is you know, borders Russia, uh, which is on on the sort of the leading edge, uh, really dealing with many of the challenges that the United States and our allies are facing with respect to Russia, has become a partner of the United States. Ukraine's success as a democracy, as a trading partner, um, as a contributor to the transatlantic community is exactly what we want to see in the future and now. 
And so I think for the United States, Ukraine will remain critical. Uh, it's pretty clear uh, that Congress believes this is the case in a bipartisan way. Um, over the last several years post-Maidan, Ukraine has received unprecedented support. Uh, some people say that Congress can't agree on anything. The one thing they can agree on is Ukraine, uh, which is true. And I think you know, Congress, when they look at Ukraine, um, they see – uh, an ally and a partner, but also uh, a, a people, American values uh, playing out, which is one of democracy, of choice, uh, to choose their own future. And I think with Ukrainians that they hope that the United States will have another partner uh, in this region of the world um, that will help us deal with some of the upcoming challenges, whether it's China or Russia. Um, and I think it's really important that the United States continue to support, strengthen, and build up those partners that share our democratic values uh, and that want to trade, but are part of a transatlantic community, an international community that upholds the law, human rights. And Ukraine is moving in that direction. And in this day and era, with all the challenges that you talked about, we want to build up countries like Ukraine and work with them. And if you're in the United States, you look at Ukraine as a hopeful uh, possibility for a partner that will share the same uh, world vision that we do. Thank you so much for having this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great, great to be here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon. And a special thanks to Albin Bochon and Marie Lowell for production assistance.